Hello, and welcome to another episode of The Hammer, an umpire podcast. I am your host, Kevin Weber. I was hoping to come on this episode and talk to you about the first couple of games that I umpired this past weekend, but as most of us know, that's not the way things worked out. Instead, I'm going to be talking about the impact of the coronavirus on the sports officiating community and uh, some of the impacts that I've heard that it's had on people I know and others around the country. That'll be my first segment. I also have the third part of the MHSAA umpire exam that I've done the first two last week and the week before with uh, five questions each. I'll have five more questions for you. And uh, you can listen along and see if you can get the answer before I tell it to you. And I'm also going to be spotlighting longtime National League umpire Babe Pennelly. Uh He is known for his work uh, in particular in the 1956 World Series. Um, but I'll get to that. I'll just tease it a little bit if you don't know what his umpiring claim to fame is. I know a lot of you guys are reeling from uh, the devastation to our schedules and everything else that's happened in the sports world these last few days. Uh, but hopefully um, you have taken a deep breath and uh, realize the situation is what it is and you're ready to keep working and grinding and uh, moving on to when you do have an opportunity to get on the ball field. Hopefully everybody is safe and sound out there, and I don't want to hear about any tragic situations that have happened with anybody. I know there have already been some sports officials, basketball officials, that uh, tested positive for the virus. Of course, um, you know, if you are treated properly and you're not in one of the uh, danger categories, you know, an elderly person or somebody with some other health issues, you should be able to recover quite well and and fairly quickly within a couple weeks. But um, I'm sure most of us don't really want to go through that and have have that uh, situation, you know, transpire in our households. Anyway, we're going to talk a little bit of umpiring and a little bit of stories here and um, get you thinking about a few things and hopefully fired up to to keep moving on. So sit back and uh, hopefully you got your new... AirPod Pros working well for another episode of The Hammer, an umpire podcast. So my big message, I guess, is to to stay strong and be the rock, right? Be the guy that is not going to sit there and complain about everything that we've all have lost uh, because of the coronavirus these last few days. It's been devastating, no doubt about it. Um, you could see it coming down. I mean, it's obviously unbelievable, and hopefully nothing like this ever happens again. I mean, it's hopefully a once-in-a-lifetime kind of situation. But I know within 24 hours, I lost 
all of my my, my two D one games, my my D two non con games, my entire D three schedule, my entire NAIA schedule, uh, several of my junior college games. Um, I've got some left because they're still holding out hope that they're going to be able to play, but I am assuming that those are going to get canceled as well. Here in the state of Michigan, the um, MHSAA canceled uh, games up through like kind of like the first week of April. So as an assigner, I had to go in and cancel all those games myself. So that's a whole bunch of games there, the high school games as well. So we'll see, starting about April 13th, if the high school season will be played um, from there. I think there's probably a 50-50 chance that that will be canceled as well. Um, you know, this all trickled down from, obviously, the, the basketball, the conference tournaments being canceled. And then the NCAA decided to cancel the um, NCAA tournament, which is pretty shocking. And then from all the professional sports, you know, first the NBA and then the NHL, and um, and then eventually Major League Baseball um, postponing at least for a couple of weeks. Um, it's just a domino effect, you know. Then we see the NCAA cancel the rest of spring sports. Um, which I don't know how that's going to work out for some of these athletes. I mean, I, I hear that they're going to give uh, another year of eligibility to spring athletes, which I'm sure can work out well for some people, but some people are going to benefit and some people are going to be hurt by that. I mean, some of these athletes, you know, for whatever sport they play, they're not going to be a professional in that sport and they're going to, they want to graduate and get a, a professional career or, or whatever, some kind of job and move on. I mean, that's eventually what happens to 99% of the people that play collegiate sports and, and high school sports as well, right? So I don't know how that works out for like a current high school senior trying to come in and then maybe the senior they thought was gone is still there um, with recruiting. That seems like a, a big mess, but um, I'm sure somebody will try to figure it out. I mean, I feel bad for all the student athletes that just had everything taken away from them. You know, a, a potential senior season that um, is not to be, it's just gone, you know. Um, like I know, like one of our local Division Two programs had a really good program. You know, they have a really good program and they were ranked and one of the best teams that they've ever had. Boom, it's gone. Same type of thing like um, NCAA basketball tournament. Um, you know, I went to Michigan State, and I, you know, I know they they always usually have a shot making a run. I mean, they go to the Final Four frequently. They'll be back, but what I I really feel sorry for teams like Dayton, who was going to probably be a number one seed, or San Diego State, who is going to be a number one seed. And those teams, they had those special teams, maybe the the once in a program history kind of teams that maybe had a shot to make quite a run in the tournament or, or do something, you know, that would have been historic for their schools. It's gone. They don't get it. I mean, the the Kansases, the Dukes, the North Carolinas, the Michigan States, you know, they'll they'll get another 
another shot down the line. But some of these other schools, they don't get that. And the same thing could be said about any of these spring sports that this stuff happened with. So I, I really feel for those coaches and those players um, and those opportunities. Um, you know, I'm everybody has something that they lost here. I mean, one of my partners, you know, this is the first year that he had gotten um, like a D3 uh, uh, conference doubleheader. And he was looking forward to that. And that's gone. I mean, I can sit there and I'm not going to sit here and whine about things I lost because I lost stuff too. I mean, there's no doubt about it. But there's a lot of guys that lost more. I mean, the higher up you are, the more money you lost from this, from potential payment that you were kind of counting on. I know guys that were slated to go to the D2 College World Series. That's gone. The NAI World Series. That's gone. You know. So, yeah, I lost my D1, D2 opportunities, chances to work with some great umpires that I won't get a chance to do this year. Hopefully it all comes back next year. But, you know, you know, like Tom Hanks said, right, <laughs> there's no crying in baseball. That's just the way it goes. Everybody is um, suffering in some way. And it was probably the right decision. I think in the end it's going to be the right decision to, to do these cancellations. I kind of wish – they maybe would have just postponed for two or three weeks and maybe left some possibilities open like they are doing here with the the high school season. But I can understand that too because the college seasons really start wrapping up by the, you know, first of May basically for a lot of them and then this postseason stuff. So by the time you got going, I mean, it might be that. I mean, they're talking major leagues they might not start till Memorial Day. I mean, for them, it takes them longer to get guys back in playing condition, you know, with the arms and everything. But uh, the similar type of thing for collegiate athletes and for high school as well. So there's going to be a lot less opportunities. I mean, I know, you know I'm a full-time teacher, so obviously that pays my bills. But I count on the money I make from this to pay for some things. Um, for you know, trips I take and things I do with my family, and uh, I got to readjust that just like everybody else. I mean, I'm not going to go bankrupt or anything, so I'm not going to sit there and complain about it. But yeah, it's it's quite a big hit. Um, but uh, we will figure it out, right? The saddest thing for me is that you know, obviously it's tough when there's like no sports or anything on TV. But baseball throughout our history has always been there to kind of comfort people in tough times, and it's not there now. I understand why it's not. I'm not saying that they should be playing the games. But um, it would be nice if, you know, it was there for people because this is kind of our social fabric, you know. And it not being there really makes it difficult for a lot of people to kind of uh, keep their heads up a little bit. Not just our umpire, you know, all of us umpires that like to do the games. I'm not even talking about that. I'm just talking about the social recreation of it all and, and, and everything that it means to so many people around the country. And as a history teacher, um, I think that this whole coronavirus thing is probably the most disruptive um, thing as far as everybody in the country since the Second World War. I know there's disruptive things that happened during the Vietnam War and other things like that, but the country's really had to pull together and uh, band together and be one cohesive unit the best that we can to try to fight off this virus and um, and, and make sure that it, you know, stop it from spreading and everything. We've had to do that. Um, 
so I, I think that overall there's been, especially local and state governments have, have shown good leadership and their ability to do that. And, you know, like tonight, I, I went out to, to eat um, because I heard that in Ohio and in Illinois, two bordering states here, that the restaurants are closing down. Um, I mean, as far as eating inside the restaurant, you probably get takeout and all that kind of stuff. I know I'm pretty sure that's probably going to happen here in Michigan soon enough. Uh, that seems to be the case. Um, I've heard that uh, in Georgia and maybe New Mexico, but at least in, in those states, they canceled their spring sports for the rest of the year. I know that might be coming here in the state of Michigan. I'm, I'm still hopeful that it might not. I think there's maybe a 50-50 chance. Maybe it's not that much, but that's what I'm hoping. But I'm prepared for it. If that's the case, I mean, I, I hope that by I don't know, sometime in May, maybe June, uh, we can still maybe get out on the ball field and work some games, make some of the money back that some of us have lost. Um, I mean, I certainly don't want to go a whole year without calling any balls and strikes and working the bases or doing the things that you know, you're used to doing. Um, that puts you behind a bit. But uh, I think we'll be able to get out there at some point. There's going to be some opportunities. Some people are going to um, be, you know, wanting to add some extra tournaments or other things. So if, if and I'm sure this is going to be similar all over the country. So you just got to look for some opportunities and take what you can get and um, go work those games. I, I guess this is going to show us how much we should appreciate what we're able to do and that we shouldn't take it for granted right that we have um, the skills or and the desire to and the abilities to to go out and do this and that uh, it can go away you know i mean uh, obviously we know it can go away if we have some physical problems or other things like that but um, you know something to to be thankful for and i think the next time that we're all out on the field we'll definitely appreciate it a little bit more um, even when the the going gets tough right you're going to appreciate that you have the opportunity to um, be part of the sport and uh, and reap some of the benefits that umpiring has for you. So as a teacher here in Michigan, our schools are closed down until after spring break, so I've got some time off. Unfortunately, there's only so much to be done. <laughs> you know, So I, I'm definitely um, going to be studying some umpiring materials, and um, trying to find some video and different things I can watch and stay up on that, stay up on my rules, uh, exercising the best I can. I mean, the weather here is getting a little bit better and sun's shining a lot more and it's not too bad. So get out and exercise and, and do my stretching and just be ready for hopefully some opportunity at some point to get back out on the ball field. Um, I thought that this past Saturday was going to be my first chance. They hadn't, you know, just the night before I was supposed to work Saturday, uh, a couple, two and a half hours away, I was supposed to work a double header. And then the NAIA thing came down. Well, the WEAC is um, our NAIA conference here in Michigan, and, and they canceled all their games. So, yeah, it just like it seemed like every hour there was something going on. I'm sure that's the way most of you guys felt too. Another cancellation notice for your games and just slipping away. But, um, you know, 
uh, that's the way it is. That's that's life, man. And we we've got to we got to keep our heads up and not complain about it, and you know, not be that guy, right? And uh, look for our opportunities um, when umpiring camps come back up, you know, in the summer and fall and everything when they do. Get out there and get seen again and um, do your thing. Um, Be that guy that can handle the situation, not the guy that's going to moan and groan about it and complain about everything. Because everybody has their story. Uh, That's the thing I've learned. Talk to a lot of guys, either texting them or talking to them on the phone or whatever. Everybody has a situation in which they are suffering from this. So it doesn't do us any good. It's not like, I mean, some are worse than others, but everybody's got something that they're disappointed about. And um, it's kind of like when you make a bad call in a game. You know, give yourself 24 hours if you want to beat yourself up about it or be all upset. But then you got to move on, right? That's what it is. What else are we going to do? There's nothing we can do about it other than be ready when you get out on the ball field. Because there won't be any excuses. I tell you what, <laughs> if we're not out there for two or three months and you go out there and you kick one, they're not going to be like, oh, that's okay, you haven't been out there. I mean, they're going to expect you to be top of your game as soon as you step on that field, right? So make sure that you're ready. Um, that's that's kind of the biggest thing that I've got for you. And, and look for those opportunities. There are, you know, once one door shuts, there's other things that open up. And um, this will turn around. You know, sooner or later, you know, this will pass and we'll all look back on it. And it's an historic moment uh, for good and bad. Um, but it's something that we're all living through and we will all get through it and hopefully come out on the better end of it. Hopefully everybody will stay healthy out there so that you you have the opportunity to umpire once it comes your way. So that's kind of my take on this whole coronavirus situation and the devastation that it has left in the uh, sports officiating community these past few days another day is here and you're ready for it what to wear check breakfast lunch and dinner check planning for what's next and how to save for it that's where bank of america can help for your financial to-dos bank of america has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals get started at one of our local financial centers or 24 7 in our mobile banking app Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. So it's week three for the 2020 baseball officials exam for postseason tournament consideration that here in Michigan are MHSAA sends out and tests all umpires in order to uh, potentially get a postseason assignment. I've done the first 10 questions of this 30-question exam, and so I'm starting with number 11 today. So this is a um, a batting out-of-order question. Here it is. No one on, no outs. The lineup is Abel, Baker, Charles, Daniels, Edward, Frank, George, Hooker, and Irwin. Baker is due up, but Charles comes to bat in his place and knocks a base hit. As Daniels comes up to bat, the defense appeals the batting out of order. 
what's the ruling? And if you need to look this up, it's rule 712 and also 239. Choices. A, Charles is out. The next batter is Daniels. That's A. B, Baker is out. Charles is removed and comes back up to bat. Or is it C, the play stands, there is no penalty once Daniel enters the batter's box. What do you got? If you said B, you are correct. Baker is out, and Charles is removed and comes back up to bat. All right. Next question, number 12. A runner that is obstructed while returning back into first base is awarded what? Is it A, back to first base, B, at least second base, or C, there is no minimum award? This is rule 832. If you said the correct answer was B, you are correct. He's awarded at least second base. Question number 13. We got a runner on second and a runner on third and one out. The batter hits a double, scoring both R2 and R3. However, R2 misses third base and the batter misses first base. The defense first appeals the batter missing first and then appeals R2 missing third base. How many runs score? And this is rule 911, with the exception C and D. Choices A, no runs score. B, one run scores. Or C, two runs score. The correct answer is once again B, one run scores because they kind of. Uh, well, they appealed them in the wrong order in order to get more outs or you know less runs scored. Anyway, number 14. Runner on second, two outs. The batter hits a pop-up to the infield. As the shortstop settles under the ball, R2 runs into him. This is rule 511E. Is it A, the ball is dead and R2 is out? Is it B, the ball is delayed dead. If the ball is dropped, interference should be called. Or is it C, the ball is dead and the batter is out? Well, the batter shouldn't be penalized for this. So the correct answer is A, the ball is dead and R2 is out because he was the guy that ran into him. All right. And then one last question today. This is a true and false question. If a player who is bleeding must leave the game to receive treatment, the reentry rule does not apply when he returns to the lineup. This is rule 316. Is that true or false? If you said false, you are correct. Uh, it does apply. It's bad luck, I guess, but that's the way it goes, right? Nobody, uh, you know, obviously didn't probably bleed on purpose, but that's the way it goes. So those are the five questions for this week. Uh, next week, I will have five more for you. This week's umpire spotlight is longtime National League umpire Babe Pinelli. 
Uh, Panili also, um, like several of the other umpires that I've spotlighted, was a Major League Baseball player. He was a third baseman uh, for the Chicago White Sox in 1918 and the Detroit Tigers in 1920 and, um, you know, in the Cincinnati Reds as well. So he played from, uh, oh, 1920 to like 27, basically. Um, And then he obviously became a highly regarded National League umpire from 1935 uh, to 1956. He officiated in six World Series. 1939, 1941, 1947, 1948, 1952, and 1956, which obviously is a um, significant World Series for an event that happened there, which we'll get to later. Um, he was crew chief in two of those series. He also umpired the All-Star Game in 37, 41, 50, and 56, working behind the plate for the second half of the last three games, and he worked in the three-game series to determine the National League champion in 1946. Um, Panilli was originally from the San Francisco area, and he was born in uh, October of 1895. Um, His his family obviously were immigrants from uh, Italy, and his father, who owned a produce market was killed by a falling telephone pole during the devastating 1906 earthquake. And uh, Penilli was um, 10 years old at the time and uh, left the fourth grade to help support the family. He sold newspapers uh, until he was old enough uh, at 12 to get a regular job, first uh, separating nuts and bolts at uh, Dreyer Brothers Steelworks, and then as an errand boy and finally as a commercial sign painter. Um, Penelope said he was born with firecrackers in my blood because uh, he, he uses fiery temper and fistic prowess to uh, survive on the mean streets around the Bush and, and Steiner area in San Francisco. Um, he was hauled into the police station at least seven times for fighting. Um, he was brash and belligerent, yet likable uh, kind of kid um, from the West Coast kind of the, the West Coast version of a, of a dead-end kid. He's the kind of guy that would fight at the drop of a hat for almost any reason and thought about becoming a professional boxer. But uh, luckily, there was some guidance around him, and uh, he took the baseball, and that proved to definitely be the best decision of his life. So as I mentioned, he was primarily a third baseman in the big leagues, but There were times where he played uh, other positions as well. He played some shortstop. He played some second base. He even had to catch a a few times during his career. Um, His main heyday was when he was with the Cincinnati Reds, and he was a pretty uh, solid player for three or four years there. But then um, he was, you know, battling some injuries and getting a little bit older, and um, he started thinking about, you know, umpiring about 1924 as a way to stay in baseball because he was unable to play in spring training that year uh, because of an injury. So he did some volunteer umpiring in the inter-squad games, and um, he always considered the umpire as a necessary evil, possibly a natural enemy, but confessed that before the day was over, he had changed his mind once he had done some of the umpiring, and he, um, 
He thought that the umpire was as necessary a part of baseball as the players. So um, that kept in his mind um, as his playing career started to come to a close. He was out of the big leagues um, by the 1927 season and went back out to the West Coast. And the San Francisco Seals were a very popular big team out there because at that time they didn't have uh, Major League Baseball on the West Coast. So he played for them and had some some good um, some good seasons there um, until he was about 35 years old. Um, the Seals would be like um, like AAA, I guess, if you think of it that way, or maybe even a little bit better in AAA nowadays. Um, and very popular out there. They drew very well at their stadium. And um, a lot of players, uh, when they were a little bit, uh, you know, washed up in the big leagues, went out there and played um, and made some money. For a while, the, the Pacific Coast League um, was kind of the, the third major league. You know, you got the National and the American and the PCL. Um, you know, players like Joe DiMaggio and his brothers and others uh, came out of that league. So there, it was definitely very well respected um, before the the move from the Giants and the Dodgers out west, you know, very well respected. So anyway, Pinelli, once his um, his playing career wound down, he decided he wanted to try to umpire, and, and the first place that he got a professional umpiring gig was in the Pacific Coast League. Uh, he had spent some time in the Bay Area there um, working college and semi-pro and some major league exhibition games, and then he got hired on uh, in the Pacific Coast League um, in the um, 1933 and 34 season. Finally, in 1935, the National League bought his contract for $1,500, and he became the first Italian-American hired as a regular umpire in the major leagues. He was assigned to work with veterans um, Dolly Stark and crew chief Cy Riggler, and he debuted at third base on April 16th in Boston as and the Braves won the season opener 4-2 over the New York Giants. Uh, three days later, he worked the plate for the first time, proving his mettle by twice calling third strikes on legendary Babe Ruth and not backing down from um, Ruth's beefing with him. Ruth complained that there are 40,000 people in this park that know that was a ball, tomato head. I guess that would be an insult back then, right? And Penelope confidently replied, Perhaps. But mine is the only opinion that counts. That was Ruth's last season, 1935, if you don't know your Babe Ruth history. Most people know he started out with the Red Sox early on in his career as a pitcher and then was sold to the Yankees and played, obviously, a good number of years there. But um, his final season was with the Boston Braves. This is before they eventually moved to Milwaukee and then moved down to Atlanta. And, of course, the current Brewers are, you know, technically like, uh, you know, a team that moved from Seattle to Milwaukee. You know, they were the pilots and all that kind of stuff. So, anyway, enough of that. Anyway, um, Pinelli was known as a dapper dresser, all right, so he became one of the most uh, respected umpires in the the, uh, National League. Unlike his behavior as a player, which he was known as a hothead, would even fight his teammates, um... His um, reputation as an umpire was even-handed and even-tempered, which is, that's what you want to be, man. 
In August 1955, Sport Magazine article called uh, The Press Box Rates the Umpires, um, National League beat writers identified Pinelli as the umpire who was coolest in a crisis and most cooperative with writers, which, you know, I don't know if that's always the most important, but coolest in a crisis, that's pretty good. Anyway, um, he enjoyed a, a better reputation with players and managers than with some of the umpires who felt that he went a little too far um, placating players and, um, and readily admitting wrong calls and things, and, and certainly that was not very well thought of uh, during that time period. Um, he was, um, he umpired numerous historic games. Uh, he was at third base at Crosley Field in Cincinnati, May 24th, 1935, for the first night game in Major League history. Uh, he was at Forbes Field, that's in Pittsburgh, on June 4th, 1940, for the first night game with, for the Pirates. Uh, he was at second base on October 5th, 1941, when Mickey Owen of the Dodgers dropped the third strike on Tommy Henrik uh, with two outs in the ninth inning, which sparked a game-winning rally for the Yankees. And on October 3rd, 1947, uh, when the Dodger pinch hitter Cookie doubled home two runs with two outs in the bottom of the ninth to ruin Yankee Bill Bevin's no-hitter and give Brooklyn a 3-2 to victory. Uh, he was assigned in 1946 to the first playoff game in National League history, and he was the home plate umpire for the first, or for the second and concluding game of the Cardinal sweep of the Dodgers. On April 15, 1947, uh, he was behind the plate at Ebbets Field when Jackie Robinson broke the color barrier with the Brooklyn Dodgers. Um, so definitely some historic things, but um, definitely all some very uh, historic and, and worthy things, but nothing quite as much as what he did in the 1956 World Series. But we'll get to that in just a moment. Um, so Pinelli was known as the Lou Gehrig of umpires, um, kind of the Iron Man. That's what Tom Gorman called him, who, who worked with him. I, I mentioned him last week in our our umpire spotlight. Uh, Pinelli claimed that he never missed a game in 22 seasons. That's a span of some 3,400 games or so. Um, Luck preserved the um, skin of two on his skin on two occasions. On April 17, 1945, he was bedridden with the flu when rain washed out the season opener in Brooklyn. So his streak kept alive, right? Um, and then on June 28, 1941, Penelope radioed Boston manager Casey Stingle that the boat his umpiring crew was taking from New York to Boston had become fogbound off of Cape Cod. Um, Babe, uh, Al Barlick, and Lee Belafont arrived in the second inning and replaced the two players um, that were working there, chosen to call the game. And then thereafter, whenever Stingle thought Penelope missed a call, he shouted, you're still fog-bound. <laughs> that, that sounds like something Casey Stingle would do. So, but of course, uh, the thing that Penelope is probably best known for in, in the umpiring community is that he was behind the plate for Don Larson's perfect game in the 1956 World Series. 
It was his last plate job of his career, which is a heck of a way to go out. And, um, you know, his final call um, on the the plate was a a called strike three on pinch hitter Dale Mitchell, who was a good hitter, by the way. Uh, Pennelly later recalled that after the game, he returned to the umpire's room and burst into tears. And it has often been reported that that was Pennelly's final game as an umpire. But that's not true. I mean, he, he was a field umpire for the next two games in the series. And then he called it a career. Um, a lot of people, a lot of umpires are not happy that after that that series that uh, none of the baseball bigwigs came in to congratulate him on, on a 22-year career and, and the, the success and, and everything and respect that he had. They just kind of let it go. But that's the way it goes for umpires sometimes. We're not out there for the glory. We're not out signing autographs after the game. <laughs> you know, I don't care who you are. I'm, I, I'm sure that there are some of us that if we if we um, met a famous Major League umpire, you might want an autograph. But, you know, probably not. You just want to shake the guy's hand and, and maybe talk to him for a minute if you got a chance to. But um, it's not all about, you know, um, you know, umpire autographs here. I guess if they wrote a book, maybe they could sign the book. But... Uh, that's kind of the way Pennelly went out, and then he, um, you know, lived till 1984, and uh, was uh, around baseball um, until the day that he died. If you uh, want to know more about him, he's actually one of the first umpires to publish a um, uh, an umpire autobiography um, in 1953 uh, with Joe King. He published a book called Mister Ump. So if you want to check that out and find out more about Babe Pennelly and uh, his career as an umpire and, and his insights into those mid-century days um, in, in the baseball world, that would be a, a great thing to do. I know some of us might have a little more time on our hands right now than we wanted. So it might be good to uh, you know, study your rule books and everything, of course, too, but to read some baseball Pros, I guess, you know, uh, read some books and autobiography or some kind of other articles, not just rule book stuff to try to get your mind into uh, the baseball world and the umpiring world as well. So that uh, concludes this week's Umpire Spotlight, Babe Pennelly. Well, that brings us to the end of of another episode of the Hammer and Umpire podcast. Um, I plan to do some some stuff over these next few weeks as far as um, some additional things on mechanics and rules and um, maybe some other segments on equipment like I've done in the past. Uh, spotlight a few things there. Um, I, I, I got to say that, you know, I was feeling a little bummed the last couple of days, so I didn't really put those segments together. But I'm going to have some time on my hands these next few days, so I'll put some extra things together for you that hopefully you'll find interesting. Um, nonetheless, you know, the podcast moves on pretty well, man. We're doing we're doing well. We're in 45 different states now. We added Hawaii and several other states. Um, we'll probably get some more listeners since guys are just stuck in their houses or driving around in their cars trying to do whatever they can here with everything closed down. And we are also um, 
up to 16 different countries that uh, we have listeners in, um, including Italy. I know that they're closed down in Italy and in France. They're all closing down there. We've got, um, you know, in the, in the Slovakia, the Netherlands, Indonesia, all kinds of places. Romania, South Africa, New Zealand, Spain. They're closed down in Spain. Germany. But, of course, uh, Canada and then the United States are our two biggest listener areas. Uh, I just was informed from Pandora that the podcast is available now on their platform. A majority of people listen to the podcast through Apple Podcasts. I get 37% through Apple Podcasts and then 22% through Spotify Um, and then various other platforms. I get a good amount through just the Anchor app, but um, also Stitcher and Google Casts, and Overcast, and even iHeartRadio, I get a good number of listeners that listen through those platforms. So whatever platform you use to listen to my podcast, I certainly do appreciate it. Um, I hope you keep listening. I hope you send in any feedback you have for me. Send me an email, spinalfusion06 at yahoo.com. It's right on the the um, the website for the podcast and also you can reach me through the Facebook page the Hammer Podcast or you can uh, tweet me and my Twitter is at Kevin R Weber and of course one B in Weber so whatever whatever you got going on um, in your life right now you know be there for your family um, keep yourself healthy but keep your part of your mind in in the umpiring world. And make sure that you are keeping up on everything and you're ready to go when the time comes. Like I say, be the rock. Be the guys that people can count on and turn to in your umpiring community. So that when we're all back out there on the field, we're ready to do the best job that we can and we're ready for it. Alright, until next time, when you get a chance, keep calling strikes.